You're listening to Bellwether's podcast with Matthews Joseph. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Bellwether's podcast. And today we have Alvin J. Woman here. Uh, Alvin is coming, joining us all the way from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Alvin has two major companies called Alpha Organics at Oxford Hill. And they are known for producing some good cosmetic and hair products. So definitely by the end of this episode, I'm pretty sure you guys you guys will go on and order some of it because uh, the story behind this is amazing. So without further ado, uh, I want to welcome Alvin. Alvin, thank you so much for joining us. It is an absolute pleasure to have you over here. Matthews, I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for just your trust uh, of your audience and of you. But just a correction, you said two major companies, bro, I, I promise you that's not the case, but I'm happy to share what I learned over the years. <laughs> oh, definitely. So before we start, you know, you want to talk about your company's Alpha Organics, um, you know, and Oxford Health, what led you to being an entrepreneur? Like what, why, why did you choose uh, an entrepreneur path? You know, why, what made you think differently? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the most important thing that you could ever have in your life is control over your time. Uh, if you have control of your time, that's the wealthiest. Um, that's the wealthiest part about you. That's the wealthiest thing that you possess. Um, because when you have control over your time, you have the ability to really encourage and empower other people. The world moves forward when people have control of their time. And it's not even a matter of resources, right? That's obviously a huge component of it, but it's more so what can you do with the limited hours that you have in a day and the limited time that you have on this side of eternity? I've always known that. My dad is an entrepreneur. He came um, into the States in the late 80s and he worked for as long as he could. But even in the middle of, of working uh, with the state, he um, started a tax practice 27 years ago almost. And I've watched him hustle hustle like crazy uh, for my entire life, literally my entire life. And he created the culture in our household that there's nothing better than working for yourself, um, providing for your family with what you've created um, out of opportunities that God has given you with your own hands. And he's the embodiment of whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. And from that, we've seen kind of God's faithfulness in our lives. And more than anything, it was the mindset that was passed down. Uh, so I always knew that I was going to find some way to, um, uh, I guess, create value in the world, add value to the world by creating employment opportunities for others. I didn't know what it was going to look like. Uh, so when I was in college, I majored in accounting, primarily because I knew that it's a language of business. If you have an accounting degree, you'll never lack a job you will always be employed. Um, at the other side of it, I majored in entrepreneurship, uh, which was like a, a weird degree uh, or, or, or program to pursue, but it just helped me wire my headspace into this idea that, hey, you can create value by creating something for yourself. So I was getting the best of both worlds. Uh, so I knew that at some point I'd be able to pivot out of the marketplace from a traditional sense and do something and create a business on my own. I did not know what that looked like, but that's kind of when it began for me, at least. Okay. Start thinking um, with the mindset of an entrepreneur, even if you're going into the workplace, which immediately after college, I worked for a consulting company 
And then my headspace began, be an entrepreneur. Think about how you can add value into this company as if you're the one that owns it. And what that does, it prepares your headspace to think as a salesperson, to think as someone that's empowering uh, the clients that are coming into that company. It just helps you add value to the company in a different way that when you want to step out and do something on your own, you're basically kind of already there mentally. Now you just need to execute. Um, and so that's kind of the early stages of entrepreneurship in my life. And it's always kind of trickled around, um, you know, school and outside of school. I mean, when I was in high school, they called me the candy man because I'd walk into school with a duffel bag full of Costco candy and I'd sell it for a dollar a piece. And, um, you know, so there, it was always in my, in my DNA, I would say, until I was, you know, I was just waiting for an opportunity to get a little bit older and execute on it differently. Uh, but that's the early stages. I can talk about the story of how Alpha started if you'd like, or if there's anything I'm that sure, you want to ask it, go me. For it. We'd, love to, we'd love to hear about yeah. the story. So I worked for a consulting company. Um, and when I was there, the specific role that I had was uh, the tax consulting or tax uh, compliance for high net worth individuals. So like millionaires, billionaires, you named it, we did the tax work for them. And um, we also did it for corporation as well. But it was amazing because I, I, I specifically worked in a group called PCS Tax, which is private uh, client services or private company services. So basically, um, you think that um, that there are that, that a private or a small company is a pizza shop or a restaurant or something like that. Well, you know, the U.S. tax code uh, considers companies that have a thousand employees and a billion dollars or less in revenue to still be a small private company, uh, if it's not publicly traded, obviously. And so those were the companies that we got exposed to. And the one thing that I noticed about those companies were that they were never involved in anything that was too complicated, or I'm sorry, not complicated, that was too exciting. I remember I had a manager come up to me. And I completed the, the, the tax compliance for an individual that was making $200 million. And he asked me, do you know what the, the, the client that you've done, that you just finished the work for, do you know what they even do or how they made that money? And I said, I have no clue. And he said, do you know the wooden dollies that go inside the shelves of a cabinet so that you can then place or the holes in a cabinet so then you can then place the shelves on top of it. Those little tiny wooden spools that you stick in the holes and then you put the shelves on and it's holding. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. It's a little tiny little component of a massive kitchen cabinet. And he just made a ton of those. And that was the source of his wealth. And the lesson that I learned there is that our generation are trying to find what is the coolest, fanciest, uh, the most exciting type of product that they can bring to market. What is the next Facebook? What's the next Instagram? What's the next app that they can create? When in reality, the fastest and surest way to create a very prosperous company is finding a service or a component that is part of the supply chain that people absolutely need uh, and make so much of it because the chances are there's no competition. There's very few players in the game and you're going to do incredibly well. And so 
from there, I just started keeping my eyes peeled. What can I do in order to um, add myself or create a company that isn't the end product, but rather is part of the supply chain and part of a cog in someone else getting really, really rich from an end product. So I always will have business. I always will have clients. I always will have income that's coming in. Whereas the people who are really gifted in selling, the people who are really gifted in operations and all of that fun stuff and marketing and branding, they can take whatever we create and handle that side of it, right? Um, my father introduced me to a man and I met this man. Uh, he was an older man that made cosmetics. And he did, my father didn't know what I'd do with the, with the contact, but I went and visited this man in Philadelphia. And I, went, I was wondering, what, what did he do? Like, he made cosmetics. And, you know, you know how, like, you know, your parents say, don't talk to strangers. Well, I didn't listen to that. I ran to this guy's um, office and I um, introduced myself to him. He was like, I heard that you make cosmetics. Older gentleman, I'd love to see what it looks like. And then uh, he's like, well, I don't have an office. I don't have a factory. Um, I, and he takes me over to this standalone car garage in the middle of South Philadelphia. And I'm thinking that he's going to like, you know, dispose of me in a really gruesome way. I have no clue where I am. Everything around me looked like this, like, you know, like weeds growing out of concrete. And here he is unlocking this garage and pulling it open. I'm like, somebody's going to come out, guns blazing, we're in trouble. <laughs> and then I look inside this garage and there are hundreds of these jars with hair product inside them. Specifically, it was a hair pomade. And the hair pomade was only purely petroleum jelly, like literally Vaseline, mixed with like vitamin E and some essential oil and then a little bit of colorant. That's all it was. And there are hundreds of it on all of these shelves that are surrounding all of the garage. And I said, is this your brand? He's like, it's not my brand. My job is to make it for another brand. And I put their label on it. And I'm like, that's genius. That's an awesome business model. I don't have to sell the product. I just find someone else who has the capacity and sales team and sales force to sell the product. And I just make it for them. And I thought that I stumbled upon a business model that no one knew about. And I said, how much do you want for this company? <laughs> and uh, that sounds really pretentious, but it, all of my friends, we had been working two years. Everyone was buying a car, putting a down payment for a house. I lived with my parents and I was like, whatever I have in the bank, if you give me the formula, if you give me the rights to that client, let me take over this small enterprise. And I mean, he was an older gentleman that basically was like, he can't, he was filling these, these things by hand himself. And so he was more so like, okay, like, I don't mind, you know? And he was convinced that he can probably start his own thing and do something else again if he needed the, the, the passive income. But I saw the potential of that one client that he was filling up those hair pomades for. And I thought that it would be something purely. The only expectation that I had was it would be passive income because I didn't plan on leaving my consulting job. So long story short, within a month, I found this tiny little office around 700 square feet, uh, which was a previous um, 
um, uh, insurance office. And it was not fitted for any type of factory setting at all. But I basically um, fitted it with a bunch of wax melters for like uh, do-it-yourself candle making equipment, things of that nature. And I set it up inside this office. I hired two um, uh, Malayali pastors that were unemployed at the time um, that just needed something to do for work. And I was like, hey, I mean, the Lord is in this place. Uh, and I gave them the instructions. And I said, this is the formula. Uh, this is how you make the product. I'm going to work. But every day you come in, and you make these this 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 product as if you're baking a bunch of cakes, you know, like as as simple as that. There's five or six ingredients. I explained the process to them, and every single day they came in at 9 p.m. I would go downtown to work, and they would melt a bunch of petroleum jelly or Vaseline, mix in some essential oils, some fragrance, and some colorant, and they pour it in the jars. And I remember. I, the first batch that they created was 600 jars. And it was so difficult for us to do, actually. I didn't realize how complicated it would be, but, you know, batches were getting spoiled throughout the week. And finally they made like 600 jars. And then I take those, those, those jars, I put it in my trunk, box it up and everything. And I drive down to New York where the client was. And he looks at me, he's like, who are you? And I was like, I am Alpha organics. We are now the manufacturers of your hair pomade. And he did, he could care less. He's like, leave it on the street. Like he literally told me to leave it on the sidewalk. And there are like workers that came in and either brought it inside his store. And like, literally it's on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. And everything was like fast moving, like hustle and bustle. And like cars would come in, which are like his clients that owned different type of corner stores around Brooklyn. And they would take it off the sidewalk and just stick it in their cars and just peel off and scream to the owner, I'll pay you next week or something. And by the time I left, the product was gone. And I just said, I like, collected the check. And I, he's like, he didn't care who I was. He just wanted product. And I get a WhatsApp message from him literally a couple of days later. And he's like, um, product is all gone. Send 7,000 more. And I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> and so I was like, now we have a business. And, you know, that was incredible. It was amazing. Like, it is an amazing feeling to have that type of a win. But I did not at all consider just how difficult it would be to scale from a couple hundred to several thousand with a few wax melters and then some, some pastors that I was still, I'm still very grateful for, but they were not prepared for it. I was not prepared for it. And it was extremely, extremely difficult to scale while I was at work. And if I'm talking too much, cut me off. It's really interesting. I mean, I mean, it's, it's amazing. So just go, keep going. <laughs> It's crazy. So it was difficult because I was working close to 80 hours a week, maybe 70 to 80 hours a week at my consulting firm. And I was just doing my level best just to make sure that things were moving at the business. So it was next to impossible. And so something that I thought that was passive income was not passive 
it's not, it wasn't a passive investment at all. It was actually, I was running like two major operations, at least within my headspace, which crushed me. It crushed me. And at the same time, I started, I, at that time, I began preaching. And so it was hard for me to kind of manage all these different things, but I didn't know what need to be given up. And I just said, God, please, in your time, in your way, you take control and you allow this to, 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 to kind of settle itself and work itself out. Because I had no confidence that the business, even though we were getting successes like that, we were still bleeding because we didn't have efficiency. So orders were coming in, but we had no idea how to operate efficiently, which is just as good as, as you know, just setting up the, the exit strategy or the end date of your business. If you don't know how to operate efficiently and manage your cash flow and just basically make product um, in a in a, in a, uh, in an efficient manner where it's actually producing um, positive cash flow um, without causing you to bleed, you might as well just close up shop. At that time, I didn't feel confident that I, that we should close up shop. I also didn't feel confident that it can replace my business or the income from my or what I was making from I'm sorry uh, from work, the income that I was making from work because I didn't collect the paycheck. It was years until I collected the paycheck. Um, and so I said, God, I need you to do something here. I'm not going to close down the business, but I'm not leaving work. And I remember we were fulfilling a purchase order for the client that was in Brooklyn. And it was a big order. And a batch was mistakenly, some, they added a wrong ingredient that ended up destroying the entire batch, which is around 10,000 bottles worth wow. or jars worth. And I get a call uh, from... Uh, yeah, from an employee of mine. And it was a very, very, very difficult thing to swallow because all of that material was basically not salvageable. We could not do anything with it. And so when I took that call, when I saw the, when I saw the phone was ringing, I was at work and I saw an empty office uh, inside on my, in my, in my floor. Um, and I just walked inside the office, I closed the door and I took the call and I was very frustrated. I was very, very frustrated. And I said, how could this happen? What did you do wrong? What could you have done to salvage it? What can we still do? We can't, we have a deadline. So many different things that were coming out of my mouth and I was trying to keep calm and keep my composure. And I thought I was doing really, really well. Uh, and I was upset with myself that I just wasn't there like in the business. I was at work focusing on, on someone else's enterprise instead of kind of building what God had given me stewardship over or, you know, taking responsibility over that. And I remember leaving the, uh, the office, closing the door behind me, sitting back at my desk, and then I get a message on my laptop and an individual uh, or who was a partner at the firm that I was working at sent me a message, say, can you come see me? And uh, turns out, he heard, he was in the office that was immediately next door to the next to connect those. It was the next door office to where I had that call. And he said, um, Alvin, uh, I walked inside his office, like, Alvin, are you operating another business somewhere else? Because I heard the call that you had. And I said, no, I'm sorry, sir, I am. And he's like, you know, your part of your contract doesn't allow you to have an operation outside of this firm. 
Uh, it could be a conflict of interest and it also takes away from your efficiency here. Are you willing to leave that business? And, and I'm giving you the condensed version. And then he's like, I need you to think about it and tomorrow come back, see me and make a decision But we can't have you do both at the same time. And um, the next day I walk in there, I sit in his office and I said, I'm so sorry, sir, but I cannot, I cannot leave that business. I think that there's something here, there's some potential here. And then he said, well, I'm sorry to say it, but you're fired. Um, and then like, I kind of felt like a little bit of a gut punch, but then he finished the sentence and he says, but only in six months. And I said, I'm sorry. He said, we'll lower your hours down to around 35 hours a week, which was like basically almost half of what I was working before. And we'll let you stay here for another six months so that you can continue to get paid as you're building your business and so that you can collect your bonus at the, at the end of the six months. And I said, why are, you, why are you doing this? He's like, well, we're going to keep this hush-hush. We don't want other employees or your coworkers feeling kind of like slighted by this about any type of treatment or anything but we appreciate the entrepreneurial spirit that's in you and we're not going to stifle that and we're not going to limit that growth and our hope is that one day you will become a client of ours and i remember feeling so encouraged by that and so i'd work the bare minimum i'd run home i'd get to the business and i'd work the second shift with the other guys that were over there uh, in my business. And then I began to see where all of the inefficiencies were, everything that was going wrong. And I saw just how, number one, I should have left the company so much more sooner because all lots of things that went wrong would just me not, no one there to take initiative to fix the inefficiencies because many of the employees did not have a confidence to do that. They just wanted to do the work. And even though they knew what some of the problems were, they did not have a confidence to be an entrepreneur in my company. They didn't have any type of stakeholdership or desire to do that, while they definitely could have. And it, it took me almost only a week of observing and seeing to say, you know what? This is what we should do differently. This is how you can actually blend a formula together rather than doing it in all these different parts. And we began to save time, money, and the product was turning out better. And then by the end of the six months, collected the bonus, all the money that I was making at that point was just using to pay the employees while we were waiting for our clients to, uh, to, to pay us. But it ended up being probably one of the most developmental stages of my life. Things would get incredibly harder from there, of course, which I don't think we have time to discuss, but that was basically how the company started. Um, and um, it's, that was Five years ago, we started off as Alpha Organics with just one or two clients. Um, and then now we are incorporated or we have, we, we're Alpha Labs. Um, and Alpha Labs no longer focuses on smaller uh, startup brands, even though we love and appreciate those brands. But we focus on emerging brands that are trying to get into big box retailers like um, Sephora or uh, Urban Outfitters or Ulta. And we're basically the middlemen for those brands who they already have an established brand. Maybe people might not know who they are, but they're ready to take that leap or that next step into getting into larger stores. And these stores are basically saying, hey, we like your brands. We're not going to put you in all of our stores, but we'll put you like in 20 or 30. 
And that's when we come into the picture because now we're going to help them get to that level of scalability where we're helping them make maybe 20, 30 or 40,000 units of a specific product. So basically those brands are done making it in their kitchen or making it by themselves with their own with their own machineries. They want to focus only on the sales and business side of things. And they contract it out to Alpha Labs now, help us get to the next level. And our hope is that as the years progress, we can help them grow as well. Because right now, if somebody came up to us and said, we need 100,000 units of any given product, I don't have the capacity or the manpower or the equipment to do that. The max I can do is maybe 40,000 units. So as these years progress, our next stage of this business is helping our brands stick with us, help them scale so that when Ulta or Urban Outfitters says, okay, you did great in the five, 10 stores that we gave you, we want to put you in 2000. That's when we can come. We want to be able to grow with them. And so as they succeed, we succeed and vice versa. Oxford Hill is a passion project, actually. People think that that's my main business. That's just um, like a little side hustle that I have. Uh, I made, uh, I like making hair products for myself. It's very difficult to find a product that I don't have it in right now, but um, I have a sea salt spray that we're making right now, which hasn't been released on Oxford Hill, but it will. Um, but I made a hair product that I was using by myself for like almost a year. And I was like, oh, I think the world needs to experience this. And it just consistently had many different revisions. And I just made a website and told a couple people about it, made a few TikToks, which were, those were crazy for us because I made one video that I thought that nobody would watch. And then it ended up getting like 500,000 views. And then from there, like we started to get, yeah. Then like I made a second one, which was getting like a hundred thousand views. And like, then I started understanding TikTok and how that works. And then we just found huge success from the TikTok community. And then Oxford Hill ended up becoming something that, um, you know, had some, some substance to it. And now we're just consistently trying to make the product better. Clients will come up to us or customers will come up to us and say, uh, it kind of didn't work for me. And I'll say, well, what didn't work and how can we make it better? So, you know, it's awesome that they're um, open to giving us feedback and we consistently make the product better. And so Oxford Hill is just something that's on the side that I don't want to see die. Uh, so every week, you know, I or, or someone that, that works with me would make some more product and we'll just keep it on the side, ready to ship out for, for orders that come in. And, um, you know, hopefully one day that can be something that, you know, we can see inside some pretty cool stores on some pretty awesome shelves if enough people wow. believe in the product. But that's essentially the, the high level story and perhaps the next episode, we can discuss um, all like the other traumatic things that took place in the last four or five years <laughs> leading up to now. <laughs> definitely, yeah, I, I'm, I'll, I'll hold you on to that. I'll definitely take that. Uh, but I have a, I don't want to jump the gun here, but I have a question here. So did you go back to your previous company, the consulting company as a client? I'm still a few years away from that. I would say that wow. we're still around. Oh, like, okay. like, yeah, like, so the um, last year, the business took a, like a very, very difficult turn because the, um, like the, um, just the 
Number one, COVID created a lot of supply chain issues. So we had to switch entirely from cosmetics to just making sanitizers. Um, our clients were shut down even. Uh, and then from there, like we learned, like there's so many internal issues that happened, which included like our employees, myself, my leadership ability, not being able to keep up with scale, the scalability of the company or how it was scaling. And so we ended up having to just hit a reset button. And it was, that's an amazing story where uh, as of this year, we got into um, certain types of clients that are in the stores that I had described and are looking to get into those types of, of stores. And so now the second phase of our company, actually, I consider it like our seventh phase, actually. Um, but like, you know, it, it you know, it, it, we hit the reset button so many times. And that's part of having a, uh, a growing company. It's, you need to like, you're going to have internal failures that you need to kind of look at and say, okay, am I closing up shop or am I going to do something a little bit better? And that's what we ended up doing. And within a few months uh, after learning how we were so inefficient as we were scaling with Alpha Organics, uh, we kind of took all of those mistakes and created Alpha Labs. And almost immediately, by God's grace, it led to the types of clients that we have the, the, the honor and privilege to be able to serve today. And so because of that, like I would hope that in the next year, six months to two years, I'll contact the partner of the firm and say, we'll be really annoying, but can we come as a client? <laughs> Definitely. And I sincerely hope that happens very, very soon. And I can't wait to see how Alpha Labs and Oxville is going to grow uh, grow in a massive scale. Uh, other than like, I want to jump into my next question here. You know, like as an entrepreneur, I'm pretty sure you have had multiple ideas coming, like multiple avenues. People are coming up with you saying, hey, you know, this I have this idea. Or somebody else coming up saying, hey, you want to collaborate on this? You know, uh, and all these ideas come in. So how do you determine which ideas are worth pursuing and which of them you should say, hey, not now? I think that the most important thing for me, because you're right, I have a lot of uh, brands, especially a brand, like uh, a brown-owned brand, brands, like Desi brands, from really confident people that are in LA and um, different parts of the country where they're consistently bringing forward the products that they're working on, the distribution strategies, and just overall amazing business ideas that are doing so well. And so um, it's awesome when you're in entrepreneurship and when you're kind of in the scene, you're meeting people that are better than you literally every week. And as it's all the time, like there's no, there's like, this is such an amazing community where like people want to help each other out. It's not as competitive, in my opinion, as other people think, other people think, unless you're trying to engage with people that are in your industry. And so I get to meet a lot of awesome business owners uh, and cool products that they're releasing. And they also, there's a lot of people that pitch different business ideas that they have. I think the most important thing for me that I look at is um, does the founder, have credibility in the space. And that doesn't necessarily mean, are they an expert that's been there for 20 years? It's do they have a passion for what they're doing, what they're pushing out into the market? And do they have the enthusiasm to be able to get it into the hands of a consumer? The second thing that's really important to me is they need to have a distribution strategy. 
Like you need to have some sort of idea as to how to take a service or a product or whatever you're making. You have to have a solid plan as to how it will convert to revenue. Uh, and I think that there's uh, so many people that unfortunately don't have a solid grip on, um, you know, how to make money with something. Uh, to be straightforward, uh, things you 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 want you don't want to bleed when you jump into a venture. And so I'm not too excited about um, uh, like businesses that don't necessarily have a plan of execution, but. I would be excited about things like that if the founders were really, really enthused. Like you can, there's some people that have like this innate ability to just make things happen. Like they have the Midas touch where like anything that they touch happens. There are people that are, those are people that are worth taking, taking bets on. But the biggest thing that I look at, if it's like brands or companies that are already kind of just starting off is, uh, and they're pre-revenue or they don't necessarily have the product launched yet, it's more so have they identified that there's a need for this? Um, is the market saturated? And do they have a plan or a distribution strategy to get this into the hands of a consumer? Uh, whatever that might, might look like. I personally like the industry that's like more obscure, like manufacturing. Like I don't like businesses that are the final product all the time, but is your business something that create that, you know, is a cog in the wheel that eventually someone else can get the final product out of. In other words, I like businesses that are part of a supply chain, not the final product itself. I think that they're very, very lucrative businesses to be in. Um, but I hope that answers. Yeah, that definitely makes, you know, that's something. Yeah. Uh, so my next question is like, you know, you work with while starting Alpha Organics or which is now Alpha Labs. Uh, you guys did do a lot of stuff. Like it was hard to balance like both your consulting job, which is nine to five, and also your business. So if you actually look today, like there's a lot of people who want to pursue a business opportunity and, you know, want to become more into the business field. And also at the same time, they have a nine to five job. So what are maybe say three tips that you would tell them is a healthy uh, work, business, life balance? Um, you need to sacrifice something for sure. Uh, I would say that today you will have more time than tomorrow. You absolutely will. Your responsibilities day by day are going to continue to increase and grow. If you are a uh, younger person uh, that is not married, doesn't have kids, um, I would say not to be like harsh. Uh, you have no excuse. Uh, if you have an entrepreneurial bug, there is absolutely no excuse. If you have a laptop, uh, you are able to, or an internet connection, uh, it is so, 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 so um, easy in today's day and age to be able to release something into the world that can produce some type of revenue. Um, so for, for, that, for that category of people, uh, actually, for everyone, uh, if you have a product, if you know of something that has a proof of concept, meaning that at least, you know, 10 people will buy it, uh, then you have a proof of concept and you should be willing to kind of jump all into it. So, number one, there's a lot of different factors. You have to understand, all right, what is your what what do you need to survive? Right. If you uh, are not living at home, um, you know, if you're not. 
if you're self, if you're, if you're, if you're self-supporting yourself and you have a wife and you have a kid and, or a husband and, and there's so many different things that you're managing, well, okay, it's going to be more difficult, but after work, there are still however many hours in the day before you really need to sleep. And that is when you should be working on a proof of concept for whatever business or idea that you have. Um, from there, um, uh, it's essentially can you executing on that, push something out into the market, whatever that looks like. Uh, you have to be a little bit sneaky and not stealing company time at your at your work, but you know, using vacation days appropriately to be able to to to, to meet up with a certain type of a distributor or a supplier or or a, a web developer, whatever type of business it is, you need to be able to take certain sacrifices. And the stakeholders in your life should be supportive of that. I know that's not always the case, but if they believe that you're serious and better in your life, your family's life, um, you know, that's what you need to be able to, uh, to communicate uh, so, that they can so that they can support you. Um, I took a lot of vacation days to do things that were business related. And that's how I did deliveries. And that's how I was able to meet with new clients. And, you know, it was, you know, I, I was milking it as best as I could. Uh, so that's the first thing that I would say, basically, is um, there's always time in the day to be able to work on something to kind of have a proof of concept to see if it can turn into a business. Um, and then the second thing that I would say is literally go and do it because there's no better time than now. Uh, there's literally no better time than now. Right now, because I'm in this entrepreneurial mode, I can think of 10 other businesses that I would start. Uh, because even looking at my current business, um, I talk to all of my suppliers. I talk to all of my clients. I listen to the problems that they have. And I know of 10 businesses that I can start that are just purely focused on the problems that they have. And they might be completely different industries of what I'm in now. And so the first businesses, business that you start, it might not succeed. It might actually fail, right? Uh, but in the same time, I mean, I would say, I would argue that mine failed, right? Even though I'm in the exact same industry and I just kind of hit the reset button, um, you learn what you can do better and how to actually make it, make it work the second time around. Uh, at the same time, um, you're also able to kind of see what else is happening in the field. Perhaps the first business you start might not be the best idea, but in the process, you think of something else of another problem that you come across, that's even a better, it's, it's an even better business model. Um, and so that's, I guess, I don't know how many pieces of advice that I gave there, but I would 100%, if I can summarize everything, I would say you need to go forward and actually pull the trigger and do it because, you know, there's so much opportunity here. And I, I honestly think that anyone can succeed just don't try to look for something that requires you to reinvent the wheel. It's not necessary. Or don't do something that requires you to beat out all of the competition. Um, you can take any type of existing idea because the proof of concept is already there. And all you have to do is package it differently and make it 1% better. Perhaps your competitive advantage is your customer service in that type of a, a, a in, the, in that model. Perhaps it's the packaging. Perhaps it is um, the speed at which you deliver the product to a consumer or, or a customer. Uh, we're always looking to figure out what can we do that's so unique uh, 
Um, but there's actually other factors involved that can help you win clientele that don't even require you to lower a price. Sometimes people say, okay, if I can make this product just a little bit more cheaper, I'll get business. Yeah, that's true. Or you can actually figure out a way that you add more value to a potential customer and increase the price, <laughs> you know? Right. So that's the one thing that, that's the one thing that I would say, just do it and don't try to reinvent the wheel and um, don't try to jump into a space that's overly saturated. Um, that's a few of the most important things that I can, I can suggest to other people. Wow. Okay. I think that's like really, really good stuff. What you just said, you know, but uh, uh, the part where sacrifice, you know, where that is important, I think uh, that's yeah. the most crucial one because uh, without sacrificing, we don't really get anything. You know, we can just like, especially, you know, all of us, like the Gen Z millennials, we feel like uh, we don't need to sacrifice stuff. You know, we need to get stuff. But again, that's like, this is the myth, you know, you definitely, therefore if you want to get something There's always a price. So, yeah, I think that's definitely the point. And the next part, like towards my last question, like this, I think this is something that uh, most of us actually go through is about uh, burnouts, you know, especially that's like very, very common in almost all the firms today, I would say is burnout, especially the ones of the small businesses are actually coming up where they see a lot of burnouts within their employees, you know, within five employees or even if it's two or three. And but also at the same time, we also need to create a sense of urgency within these people, within our employees. So as an entrepreneur, as a leader, and as a CEO, how do you think we can create a sense of urgency within our team without, in fact, burning them out? Uh, you need to give them uh, stakeholdership in your vision. They cannot feel as though that they are a cog in the wheel. Uh, our, speaking from an employer perspective, our employees need to feel as though that they are part of the solution, that they're adding the same type of value, if not greater value than us. Leaders, you need to truly, humbly come forward and act with the mentality that you do not know at all. The best piece of advice that I've ever gotten that I tell everyone is don't be afraid to show what you don't know. Because nobody likes someone that thinks that they have all of the answers. And in the midst of that, they don't feel like people want to invest in them. The best thing that I've done for myself is ask for help and put people around me that know more than I, that are better than me, that are smarter than me, and can, can, can look at uh, whatever I build and say, you did this all wrong. It's actually more efficient if you do it this way, this way, this way, and this way. And so um, I did not do that for the first four years of the business. I didn't, I remember getting agitated when my employees would um, kind of suggest, uh, oh, I think it'd be better if we did it this way. And, you know, like, like there sometimes, and like, thank God, the God like kind of like, like you know, kind of uh, helped me uh, really kind of position myself out of this headspace, but it there you kind of get upset that that you didn't think of it or you know this person doesn't see the bigger picture how do they know that so what i've learned is as as a leader i need to be okay that i will get things wrong and that there are people that perhaps are under me that know so much better than i and when they get that type of uh respect when they get that type of um appreciation 
uh, they feel more committed to what you're building. And they begin to think how they can grow within the organization. You should never, ever make someone feel because they will burn out. You should never let them feel as though that where they are will be where they are forever. You should be able to kind of present the vision that this is my idea for this company and this is what it will mean for you. So you're constantly helping them identify what's in it for them in the long term. Yeah, the easiest thing you can actually do is give, like if you have a business, give your best employee equity or, you know, uh, ownership of the company in some in some respect or pay them very, very well. Uh, but more importantly than all of that, um, or in addition to that, uh, they need to feel as though that they are not just um, someone that's riding the bench, but they are people that um, that you trust, that you depend on, um, and you give them freedom to add value. So um, that's burnout for like our employees and our people. They need to they're, they're human beings, and they need to be treated with value and respect, and not feel as though that they are expendable. Uh, for leaders. Uh, I would say entrepreneurial community is important. You need to be around other people that are experienced the same level of tension and pressure that you are. And there's many people out there and they're always looking for each other because entrepreneurship is one of the loneliest games that you can be in. Nobody, very few people understand the pressure of making sure, are we going to hit payroll on time? Are we going to make sure that, are we going to make rent this time? Is it, what is going to, the looming recession, how is it going to impact our, our, our industry? It's um, one of the most anxiety driving, like parts of, of, of life for entrepreneurs. It's like the uncertainty of tomorrow. Christian community in general is amazing. Christian entrepreneur community for me has been so, so powerful when we're kind of all in the same boat and everyone is kind of speaking life and producing faith for, for, for one another and saying, you know what, no matter what happens, we will come out victorious. We'll be okay. Everything, we might lose everything, but uh, it's all about the perspective that we have. Entrepreneurs, for the most part, I've noticed can stay on mission, can stay focused. And they have this, this enthusiasm to say, you know what, if I lose it all, I'll just do it again. And I think that um, it's best for us to avoid burnout, to surround ourselves with other people that have the exact same mentality so that we're not just saying it to ourselves so we think that it will help us believe it, but rather we're hearing other people that have the same exact type of motivation that it kind of inspires us to move forward. It's like it's easier to see development and growth at a gym when you're going with someone else that is seeing progress at the exact same pace or at a greater rate than you because two people are developing something together um, and changing themselves for the better together. Uh, or rather, if someone is doing it by themselves, they might feel as though, you know what, I'm not good enough. I'm not I don't know how to do this. I'm not going to succeed. The same applies for business. Don't do life alone. Um, I don't think that there was anything better for me other than, you know, entrepreneurial community so that we can kind of bounce things off of each other and that <clears throat> avoided burnout significantly. Oh, I think that was like some amazing stuff that you just said, especially where we are a community, especially the Bible, which is like two is better than one. And it's always good to be around a community with always people who are actually like-minded, who think in a different way, like who, who think in a more expansive way where, you know, they, they can think, look at stuff 
in a more in, in a more in, in a concept where they're vision thinking and far thinking into the future. And that's definitely needed. And you know, definitely all those all those things you just said, you know, especially your story that you know that reflects a lot, you know, how you know the process of you from accounting, from an accounting student and who got a job to where you are right now. And I think that story and that 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 journey is actually amazing. And you know, I feel like you know anybody who hears that, you know, definitely would you know just go and go for it. And you know, definitely would love yeah. to see how God is actually doing this amazing stuff to you and how your story is actually impacting people. You know, and that one small step of decision that you just took, and you know, and also one of the things that I, I think one of the main, main takeaways from that story is the you know, your boss who just said, you know, we're firing you only in six months, and you know, which is amazing because you know today. I am, that's like something amazing to see because people need to see the potential that 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 person saw in you. And the same way today, we don't see that, you know, uh, we don't encourage people or appreciate people the way they should be. And we see potential in them. And the moment we start doing that, they can be the real deal breakers and change makers. Uh, maybe five years or 10 years from now, we never know. And, you know, the, the way that they can do it, you know, and always, I believe everybody's, everybody's called to be a leader. And I, I believe everybody, every single person has a spirit of entrepreneurship, which they can pursue at any time. But, um, but always, you know, there, there is something that, that's always, there's always a greater calling for us. And this just doesn't stop at where we are. So, yeah, but yeah, I, I want to say again, that's, a, that's one of the most best stories that I've ever heard. And, you know, it's, uh, that's a life journey, you know, and I, I know calling it a story is kind of like, you know, uh, ki- kind of a simplification, but I would say that's like, you know, the real life journey, real testimony. But yeah, I think we've come to the end of the session, but, you know, but yeah, it was so amazing to have you, Alan, with your story, with your thoughts about leadership, about being an entrepreneur, about ideas and all those things. And you know, I think, I think this is like, this is going to be amazing when people hear this, you know, they're going to be so inspired by those decisions that you take, you know, every single step that you took along the way is actually inspiring, not just for you to make profit, but also to make a difference in this world. So always it's just, you know, it's not just a single person decision it's always a multi-impact decision so once again thank you so much for being here for spending your time on this i really really appreciate and love uh, this conversation with you thank you brother i appreciate it thanks for your time again thank you for your trust um you know i feel like we didn't scratch the surface but uh still you're able to ask some good questions that kind of got my head spinning and if i rambled i'm sorry man but I know you're I good. Don't really worry. My time with yeah, you. I, I definitely think we should do a part two for this sometime later. So yeah, definitely. I'll call you for that. <laughs> all right. All right, man. Thank, Thank you so you, much. Man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for every single person who's listening. That was Alvin J. Uman, founder of Alpha Labs, and which was previously Alpha Organics and Oxford Hill. So if you guys, you know, uh, you ever just heard a story, so the links are in the bio. So go ahead, order some hair products, you know, and just do leave him, leave him a good review. Uh, uh, and I'm pretty sure you guys would like it. Again, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned until our next episode uh, and take care. Thank you for listening to Bellwether's podcast. If you loved this episode, do not forget to share and subscribe. Also, we would really appreciate if you could leave a review. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.